We all have needs. It's a fact of life. You cannot get away from it. Through identifying our needs, we can become self-aware and fully actualized human beings. Understanding needs and learning to communicate them to the world around us is vital to living a peaceful and happy life with ourselves and others. If you have never gone through a process of identifying needs, it can feel awkward, uncomfortable, and even selfish to say them out loud. Well, I want to help you overcome those feelings, so consider this analogy. You are flying on a commercial flight, and the flight attendant walks you through the safety procedure in the event of an emergency. The number one rule they tell you is that if the mask from the overhead compartment drops, you fit your face with it first and under no circumstances fit the person beside you before yourself, even if it is your child. The reason being is that if you can no longer meet your needs, in this case your need for oxygen, you will suffocate and be unable to meet the needs of anybody else. This principle applies to a myriad of other situations in life as well. If your needs aren't met, at least most of the time, you'll have far more difficulty helping to meet the needs of those around you, and then you're no good to anybody, just like in the analogy of the flight emergency. Learning to meet our own needs is selfless, not selfish, because we want to be our best selves for the world around us. Operating in an optimal physical and psychological state is for the benefit of our work, family, friends, and even society. When we become attuned to our own needs, it helps us to clarify our thinking, work through frustrations, and come up with win-win solutions. I call this rational self-interest, in which you seek to reach your own full potential by meeting your own needs first, so that you can more effectively meet the needs of others second. If you try to meet others' needs first, you'll be less helpful to them had you tried to meet your own needs first. A tool that can be useful in identifying needs is the popular psychological concept called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. The hierarchy is often depicted as a pyramid with most of your basic needs at the bottom and the more abstract emotional needs near the top. The needs are categorized into five topics in three sections. It should be stated, however, that Maslow himself never used a pyramid to describe his theory, which can lead to some misconceptions about his ideas. But for the sake of this description, I will reluctantly rely on a quote-unquote pyramid model understanding. Section 1 is your basic needs. At the very bottom of the pyramid is your most primal needs, starting with the physiological, which are universal. The need for food, water, oxygen, and shelter. If you do not have these needs met, it is unlikely you will be able to meet any other needs. In fact, it could even lead to harm or death. Then, right above the physiological is your safety needs. Once you are fed, clothed, and housed, you'll need to have an environment of safety and security. 
Signs that you may have an unmet need for safety and security would be, for example, if you are in an abusive relationship, have a toxic work environment, financial instability, or perhaps you live or work in a high crime area. If you do not feel safe, it will be difficult to meet your higher order needs. Section two is your psychological needs. Once your need for sustenance and security are met, the next most people will want to fulfill are their emotional and psychological needs. The first of these is the need for belonging and love, like romantic relationships, close friendships, and tight-knit social circles. Now, if you've gathered a few loving relationships over time, according to Abraham Maslow, you will then have esteem needs meaning you will want to have a history of accomplishments and achieving goals as well as accolades or recognition from your peer groups or broader society. You will have a need to feel like you contribute to society in a meaningful way. And section three is your fulfillment needs. At the top of the pyramid, after you have satisfied all of your other needs, is your self-fulfillment or self-actualization needs. Now the term self-actualization can mean many things to many people, and with the way many people might describe it, it means almost nothing at all. So I'm just going to use a very specific definition, so that it's clear exactly what I mean when I use them. The way I understand it, self-actualization is a state of living your full potential in multiple self-defined arenas of your life and having an ultimate meaning that guides your life. This could be spiritual, metaphysical, or even intellectual. But to achieve self-actualization, one must be living a meaningful life by whatever is meaningful by their own definition. You may argue that meaning is not a need, but without getting too deep into a conversation about existentialism, I do believe that meaning is in fact a human need. For more on this, I would recommend the book Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, but the hypothesis will have to be expounded upon in a later episode. For the purposes of this discussion, let's assume that ultimate meaning is, in fact, a need. One final note on Maslow's hierarchy. There are some valid critiques of the theory that deserve mention, primarily being that your needs can be ever-changing depending on time and context, and are not static like a pyramid would suggest. For instance, I may be meeting my self-actualization needs, but if I am really hungry, I am suddenly now at the bottom of the pyramid in a single moment. My need to satisfy hunger now takes priority over almost any other need. So the way I look at it is that in general, if you aren't starving, homeless, lonely, or have a meaningless life, you can or order the pyramid in such a way, but priorities can change with the death of a loved one financial difficulties, physical or mental health issues, and so forth. Like many concepts I might share on this podcast, it's meant to be a guide, not a tyrant. You don't have to strictly adhere to these principles. 
They are merely a helpful mental tool to identify what your needs are and where they might not be met. The following is an excerpt from Dr. Barry Kaufman, Scientific Director at the Imagination Institute in the Positive Psychology Center at the University of Pennsylvania. People get a lot of things wrong about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. First of all, Maslow never even drew a pyramid. <laughs> a lot of people might not know that. Uh, you'll, as you are probably very uh, used to seeing a diagram on Facebook or in your introductory psychology class or management class, you'll see this pyramid um, with self-accusation at the top and, and different needs. Well, I looked through Maslow's writings and he never actually drew a pyramid to represent his theory. He actually viewed human, to, it was very clear to Maslow that life is not a video game. It's not as though you reach some level in life like safety needs and then you, get, you, you reach the safety needs and you get a certain number of that and then some voice from above is like, congrats, you've unlocked connection. And then you go, doo, 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 and you move up to connection. <laughs> and then and, you know, it's not how life works. And Maslow was very clear about that. In, in a lot of ways, Maslow was a developmental psychologist at heart. He really believed that human development was constantly this two steps forward, one step back dynamic. We're constantly choosing the growth option and then we're failing in some way or we have some struggle, which is an inevitable part of life. And then we continue forward. It's not, life is not some trek up a mountain. And then you reach self-actualization as though you've, you've, you've achieved self-actualization and, and, you, uh, and, and the, the final credits come on, you know, like the video, again, to continuing the video game meta metaphor. Uh, life is not like that. Self-development is a process. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's constantly in a form of development and we are constantly becoming, uh, our being in the world is constantly becoming. And Maslow is very clear about that. Abraham Maslow made very clear that self-actualization is not the same as achievement. A lot of people, in fact, may achieve quite a bit in their lives and maybe on the cover of magazines may have all the awards, they have the whole trophy shelf of their house that they show off and still feel deeply, deeply unfulfilled. We, are, we feel much more fulfilled when we actualize our potentialities, our, our deepest potentials, um, the things that make us unique, the things that we can uniquely contribute to the world in ways that have a positive impact on the world. Just realizing your talents without the context of the meaning behind it is a recipe for a lot of talented people to live a very unfulfilled life. So Maslow defined self-actualization as becoming everything that you're capable of becoming and um, that you're most uniquely capable of becoming. So we have a lot of things, a lot of potentials that we share with other humans. So we have the need for safety, we have the need for connection, we have the need for respect and a uh, certain level of feeling worthy or self-esteem. And we share that with others. But Maslow thought of self-actualization as those potential potentialities within you that are most, that if, if grown to full, full heights, will have the biggest impact on the world uniquely. What do you most uniquely have to contribute to this world? I think that's how Maslow really thought about self-actualization. And that's how I tend to think about self-actualization as well.
So I've revised Maslow's hierarchy of needs for the 21st century, building it on a solid scientific foundation. So my revised integrated hierarchy of needs views human development as in a process of higher and higher levels of integration. So instead of some trek up a mountain, we're actually a whole vehicle. We're an integrated set of parts. Our whole can become greater than the sum of its parts. But how we integrate those parts is really important for fulfillment in life and ultimately transcendence. So many people might not realize, but towards the latter years of Maslow's, Abraham Maslow's life, he was working on a new theory of transcendence, arguing that our highest motivation in life wasn't self-actualization, but it was actually transcendence. What is good at the highest level of uh, of human development, the highest level of human motivation, transcendence, what is good for oneself is automatically good for others. Coming out of the University of Wisconsin-Madison, a psychologist by the name of Marshall Rosenberg began his first practice in St. Louis, Missouri, in 1968. During this time, he met a man by the name of Al Chappelle, a leader in the Zulu 1200s, a St. Louis Black Liberation Group, where he taught a new approach to conflict resolution to the gang in exchange for Chappelle's appearances at desegregation conventions. It was then that Rosenberg developed what would later be known as nonviolent communication. Let me say, first of all, the word violent in nonviolent communication is used somewhat colloquially. It isn't meant as a literal violence, but rather a hostile form of communication that damages relationships and can indeed rise to literal physical violence in some cases. Myself, I prefer to call it non-hostile communication, but for the purposes of this discussion, I will stick to the original vernacular. Nonviolent communication, or NVC, is an approach to communication that seeks to resolve conflicts peacefully. It posits that all human behavior, positive or negative, is rooted in an attempt to satisfy unmet needs and that those needs are never at odds, but rather it is how we attempt to meet the needs that causes conflict and can even incite violence. What NVC attempts to accomplish is how to meet our needs in a way that reduces tensions, brings harmony, and finds win-win solutions to any relational difficulty. It helps us to empathize with others, vocalize our own needs with clarity and without judgment, and conduct our relationships with love and respect rather than compulsion and manipulation. At the core of NVC is a never-ceasing connection with our own needs and the needs of others. And let's be honest, the vast majority of our communication is simply our judgments and evaluations, good or bad. Learning to communicate our needs can be a powerful technique in our conversational skills, 
and a wonderful alternative to simply sharing our evaluations of people, things, events, and so on. I liken it to a form of verbal jujitsu. It has a way of disarming people without firing a shot. Looking beyond people's evaluations and judgments can be one of the most difficult parts of NVC. And to be totally transparent, I personally find the technique to be incredibly challenging, in large part due to my own impulse to judge and evaluate. These difficulties can arise if somebody is calling your names, mind reading, being racially or culturally insensitive, which can in turn incite all sorts of feelings, hurts, and trauma from our past experiences. We can even start assigning judgments to the very person who is judging or evaluating us, creating a vicious cycle. This leads to a tit-for-tat game of judgments and evaluations that are destined to escalate to the point of breaking relationships or even violence. And that is where nonviolent communication comes in. Use it as a tool to stop playing the evaluations game and start playing the communicating needs game. Two important things to keep in t uh, clear about needs. First, all human beings have the same needs. No matter what country they live in, no matter what, what. All human beings have the same needs. We are created out of the same energy. We have the same needs. Now, what we're going to work on next Strategies for meeting the needs. That, there's a lot of variation on that. But all human beings have the same needs. So we got to keep that clear. And then we got to be clear that in expressing needs, not to get them mixed up with our request for meeting the needs. Needs contain no reference to who we want to take action to meet them. Hey guys, thanks uh, for listening to this episode on nonviolent communication. I just want to remind everyone to follow me on all the socials on Facebook at the Peaceful Way podcast, on Twitter, the Peaceful Way, and on Instagram as well. Um, you can also email me at the Peaceful Way podcast at gmail.com. Reach out, I want to know what you think. And don't forget to subscribe to this episode as well as give a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks. Enjoy the rest of this episode. The NVC model is a relatively simple one. It starts with empathetically listening and then honestly expressing. It is a dance of giving and receiving. You can help give somebody what they need, and they can help give you what you need. Rosenberg describes it as finding out what is alive in myself and others. Think of it as a way to deeply know people and connect with them, to get to the bottom of what makes people tick. 
When listening or expressing, we should always take these four action steps, starting with observation. Observe objectively what is being said or done without judgment. If somebody is calling you names, responding by calling them a jerk is not an observation, it is a judgment. Instead, you can simply say, I see you using the word jerk to describe me. This is a simple way of making an observation known. The next action step is communicating feelings. Say how you feel at that moment. But avoid saying statements like, you make me feel. Just simply communicate your current emotional state without placing responsibility for your emotions on the other person. The third step is to communicate or identify needs. Remember what you are trying to get at in NVC. That is, what are your needs and what are my needs and how can we get our needs met without harming one another? The fourth step is to make requests. Making reasonable requests based on needs, observations, and feelings. Ultimatums, demands, and threats are a surefire way to create hostility between two people. Remember, you are asking, not telling. Communication is not about coercion, but negotiation. Empathetically listening. When talking with someone, it is important we hear not just the words that they say, but the feelings and needs that they are communicating. Hearing and receiving is empathetic listening. What we are trying to do is discover the need behind the words, not just the words themselves. When people use hurtful or insulting language, they will almost always have an unmet need that they are having difficulty articulating. With empathetic listening, we can help them to discover the need they are trying to express. For example, imagine you are in the passenger seat of your friend's car for a night on the town. Your friend gets cut off. They may get agitated and yell at the other driver. Perhaps they will honk the horn in disgust, or even flip them the bird. What need might they have that they are not clearly expressing through their insults? They are probably using that form of communication because they have a need to feel safe while driving. It isn't simply that they are angry for being cut off. It's that their need for safety is being unmet. Again, try to hear the needs, not just the words. A good way to do this is to ask non-judgmental questions. In the aforementioned driving with your friend scenario, an example of a judgmental question would be, you sound angry. Are you mad because that driver was being rude? This statement may sound empathetic, but it's not. Allow me to explain why. Let's go over the sentence again and break it down. You sound angry. This is an assumption and a judgment. Don't assume to know someone's feelings unless they specifically tell you that's how they feel. And avoid judging people's responses as 
angry or upset or annoyed and so on. Only characterize someone's feelings if that is specifically how they say that they feel. Are you mad because? Again, asking if someone is feeling a certain way is our evaluation of how they feel. It is better to ask the question with zero assumptions, like, how does that make you feel? Or, I don't know how you are feeling right now. Can you help me understand? The driver was being rude. The word rude is a judgment of somebody's behavior. Perhaps they are being rude in relation to your personal cultural sensibilities. But maybe that driver did not believe themselves to be rude. So the rudeness or lack thereof is mostly an opinion. And again, it's not totally helpful. Try to point out exactly the action without using any unnecessary describing adjectives. You can simply say, it looked to me like that driver cut you off. Or better yet, when that driver switched lanes, they got really close to you. So instead of phrasing the sentence like this, you sound angry, are you mad because that driver was being rude? We can instead phrase it like this, that driver got really close to you when they switched lanes. How is that making you feel right now? And then take the conversation from there, always trying to hear what is being communicated and reserving our evaluations of what is being said. The second part of the model is honestly expressing. Once we've received what someone has given to us, we can then give back to them. NVC really is simply the process of giving and receiving, the foundation of all relationships. Often when someone says they are speaking their truth or just telling it like it is, they are violating some of the tenets of NVC. Yes, you might be telling the truth as you see it, in terms of your opinions and values. However, when building connection or resolving a conflict, your opinions and values are often irrelevant and can make the situation worse. Rather, when speaking with someone, express honestly what you observe not your evaluations or your judgments, but your observation. Let's say you have a roommate who never cleans their dishes, and you respond to them by saying, how can you live in this pigsty? Well, I do not think that suggesting they are no better than an animal is going to motivate them to clean up their dishes, and it will probably provoke hostility and resentment. The better course of action would be to make an honest observation, devoid of judgment. For example, I noticed you left your dishes out last night, followed up by the need you have in that moment. I have a need to make sure that the counters and sink is clear so that I can use it in the future, and then ask if they can help you meet that need. Most of the time, people will respond positively to this, but if they don't or have a negative reaction, 
go back to the empathetic listening to try and understand what need might not be getting met, and then circle back to honestly expressing your own feelings and needs. One of the two main parts of honesty in nonviolent communication, how to say what's alive in us without using any words that criticize, blame, diagnose. So we saw how to do that. Now notice, this didn't require us to be nice. Quite the opposite, it required us to be more honest, more clear about really how life would be better for us uh, if things were changed. We didn't make any criticism, so we made a clear observation our feelings, and the needs that weren't met. Now we're going to add to that. So on feelings, to make NVC truly effective, you must take full responsibility for your own feelings. Nobody makes you feel anything. Nobody makes you angry, upset, happy, sad, joyful, or fulfilled. Good or bad, it is important that we take ownership of our own feelings. If you tell somebody with whom you have a conflict, you make me so angry, then you have already lost the battle. You have given them power they never earned and a burden they cannot bear, namely the responsibility for your emotional state. This is not to say that when someone fails to meet your needs or succeeds in meeting your needs that you are not allowed to feel a vast array of different emotions, but you must not make those emotions incumbent entirely on how they are behaving. You cannot allow those emotions to control your own words and actions. What we are doing when this happens is behavior modification. Nitpicking, complaining, and manipulating when someone does not act how we believe that they should. There is also a certain power that comes with the ability to regulate our own emotions and that we are no longer victims to how people might treat us. Our internal state can be stable and calm when the work around us is chaotic and disruptive. And remember, emotional regulation is a skill that can be developed. If you don't feel you are very good at it right now, that's okay. You can get better and develop habits and disciplines that will assist you in that goal. And remember, the skill of emotional regulation is a journey, not a destination. One of the important critical differentiations is uh, to be conscious, we never have to worry about how the other person responds. 
we have to see a difference between that. That's not our worry. Our worry is how we respond to the other person's response. See? So in this case, we don't have to worry about no. We have to only be concerned about how we deal with the no, if it occurs. We don't have to worry about a person diagnosing us. You're too sensitive. We don't have to worry about that. We only have to worry about how we respond to that. If I give this person the power to tell me what I am, and I therefore think, oh my God, there's something wrong with me, I'm too sensitive. It's not the other person's response that creates my pain. It's how I dealt with that person's response. I heard what the person thought about me. And I think there's something wrong with me that this person said that about me. So I never have to worry about the other person's response. When I think that I do, if I go in, oh, what if the other person says, what if... I've just taken all of my power and given it to the other person. I'm saying my security and my power is in this person. Some final thoughts on nonviolent communication. As with any topic I cover, let this be a tool, not a tyrant. I don't believe it to be the end-all be-all of communication. Add it to your self-improvement repertoire to become a better communicator and listener. But don't think that what I'm saying here is that all communication has to be about communicating our needs. There may be some contexts, like work or academic debates, in which that may not be feasible or useful. But even if you cannot use it all the time, try to use it more of the time. Try to think about how you can discover what makes yourself and others quote-unquote come alive inside, as Marshall Rosenberg puts it. When we discover the life inside others, we humanize them, a quality that is sorely lacking in today's society. You cannot implement NVC if you truly believe that others are your enemy, that they are disgusting, evil, or beyond reproach. This toxic form of communication, this process of dehumanization, has existed since time immemorial and will continue to exist within human societies. But it doesn't have to exist within you. The way we speak can have all sorts of effects on our own psychology and emotional well-being. Often when we constantly use toxic language, it creates self-fulfilling prophecies and dysregulated emotional states. It heightens anxiety, increases our adrenaline and cortisol levels, hurts our sleep patterns, has negative effects on health, and can even shorten our lifespan. Now, there are some criticisms of Marshall Rosenberg, mostly for his own personal failings, namely that he had three marriages before he passed away. He had been divorced even after developing NVC and doing all sorts of peace and reconciliation work in Africa and the Middle East and across the USA. One can ask if this method is so effective, 
why didn't it work from Rosenberg himself? I can't really answer that question. I'm not sure anybody can. But personally, though I think it's fair to critique and show the limits of NVC, as it is not a cure-all for violence and broken relationships, it's still useful based on principles of mutual respect. Choosing not to use evaluations or accusatory language or making demands and ultimatums can improve your relationships with people significantly. I think there is no doubt. So don't let the messenger sully the message. Ideas can still be true, despite the vessels delivering those ideas being imperfect. So let us find a better more humanizing way to talk to one another, even our enemies. 